beginning of the film Saving Private Ryan by Steven Spielberg and the great music of John Williams reminds us about uh, Memorial Day. Uh, this was uh, my favorite soldier. Uh, his name was uh, Dan Ankerberg, and uh, he landed in France one week after D-Day, went across France and lived through the Battle of the Bulge, went into Germany, freed uh, one of the men freeing Buchenwald concentration camps, saw the horrors of that. One of the first GIs in Berlin actually uh, went into Hitler's office, one of the first people to go into Hitler's office in the, the main office. And Memorial Day, I remember my dad, it's hard to believe the bottom there, August 14th, 2008, that he's been gone that long. But when it said the words we chose forever in our hearts, it's based on our faith in Christ, that uh, he is forever with us, uh, but in a better place now. And I know a lot of you have uh, loved ones, people who served our country and are now passed on. And um, in just a moment, I, j I would just like you just to out loud, just say the name of people you know, friends you know, family you know, who are buried in one of those cemeteries where people can be remembered uh, because they served our country to keep us free and allow us this freedom of religion that we have. So just say the name out loud. Just talk over each other. Just say the names. Father, as we say the names, we honor the memories and we pray your blessing on each one. And we thank you, Father, for the people who have given to pay the supreme sacrifice so that we could one day sit in this comfort and have the freedom to worship you, Father. So be with us and bless us now as we open the scriptures together in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to open with a fairly long quote from a friend of mine named Leith Anderson. And here it is. In western Colorado, uh, there's a road called the Million Dollar Road. Million Dollar Highway. My guess is that both tourists and even most of the people who live on the western slope don't know how this road got its name. They probably assume it got its name because it was expensive to build, but that's not correct, although it probably was expensive to build because it runs through very difficult terrain and at a high altitude. The real reason it's called the Million Dollar Highway is because waste material from the ore in gold mines was used as the bed for that highway. And not all the gold, dust, and nuggets were removed by the mining process available at the time. As a result, there is a partial roadbed of gold that is probably worth a lot more than a million dollars. It isn't the cost that gave it its name, but rather it's what's inside of it. I want to talk about what's inside of us today from Ephesians chapter 5, if you open your Bible to Ephesians 5, starting at verse 1. In verse 8, I'm just kind of going to go to the end of it. it. It says, you have light from the Lord, so live as people of light. Uh, and one of, the, one of the important things for us to remember is that that we are unique people because of what God has done inside of us. We're going to talk about that today. At the end of chapter 4, verse 32, we had these words, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, uh, forgiving, 
one another. And we ended with that idea of how important forgiveness is for us. We've been forgiven so much to be forgiving ourselves, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And Paul continues that thought now into uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. The word imitate there is an interesting word. Uh, some people, uh, some versions say follower, follow God. Other versions say, uh, actually the most literal translation would be the word mimic. Mimic God, act like God. Uh, I remember years ago I went to hear uh, a guy named Rich Little. Any of you remember Rich Little? He used to do impersonations of famous people. And I don't know, why does it fascinate us so much to hear somebody sound like somebody that they're not? You know, but it was. And he had so many voices he did. It was just great. And then there was comedy, of course, involved in that. It says that you, you should be a mimic as well. You should be an imitator. And here's who you should imitate. God. Oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> like I got a chance in the world of doing that. It says, uh, but maybe it's, oh wait, in everything you do, uh, who, who can do God, who's sufficient for these things? But it says, do it because you are his dear children. What a beautiful phrase. His dear children, or literally the word is his precious children. The Greek word is tekna, those, those who are born from him, who come from him, who he dearly loves. And it's the same word it uses in, in uh, uh, Matthew 3.17 when the voice from heaven comes down on Jesus at his baptism and said, this is my beloved son. And here Paul is building on that and he says, imitate God. Why? Because you are his beloved child. He loves you so much. He's given you so much. And because of that, you should try to imitate him. You should try to... It, it's always helpful if the children look a little bit like the parents, don't you think? And, and hopefully in the good ways anyway. In Leviticus 19, it says, Give the following instructions to the entire community of Israel. You must be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. I am holy, you be holy. Matthew 5, you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Luke 6, you must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. So for the, for the writers in the Bible, it says the reason you should act the way you act is because you are, you are believers in God and followers of Jesus Christ. And because of that, it ought to affect the way you act. You ought to be able to see that you are truly children of God. Now, in um, the city of Ephesus, they had a problem, and here was the problem they had, her picture. This is a picture of the goddess Artemis, and uh, you'll see, uh, I don't know, she doesn't look that pretty to me, and she's got all around her midsection there, she's got eggs, uh, because uh, the view of Artemis was that she was the mother of all the gods, and so they worshipped her in Ephesus, the city that Paul is writing this letter to. In fact, here's a picture reconstruction of what they say her temple looked like uh, during Paul's day. Uh, I'm sorry, go back one more. I want to read those verses from Acts 19. It says, uh, this is recorded about the, the conflict that Paul had in Ephesus. And he's in the arena and the people are, are fighting him. He says, at last the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. Citizens of Ephesus, he said, everyone knows that Ephesians, Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, whose image fell down to us from heaven. 
So he's trying to come against people who had a strong belief in a female God. And, uh, and again, go forward now to that beautiful temple. If you've ever, uh, th well, here's how it looks today. A little different, wouldn't you say? Uh, you know, they thought it would last forever, right? But it didn't. In fact, the pillars that were there are actually in the Hagia Sophia in Istanbul, if you've ever been there. These huge rose quartz pillars, they took them away. They don't even uh, live there. At my last church in uh, California, in Whittier, we had a simple slogan. We were trying to come up with like a mission statement or a vision statement. You've, you've got one here at Cedar Home. This was ours. Follow God, love people. That was what we was. But we built it on these words of Ephesians 5. So from the imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, we got the idea of, you know, following God. And then we kind of put that plus sign to represent the cross and that both of these things are important. And then the next verse says, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. So again, both verses talk about imitate God, follow Christ. So follow God, but then live a life filled with love. Follow God, love people. We tried to get something simple enough that people could remember it. And uh, a couple years after I left, they went on to something, uh, some other slogan. So I don't even know what it is right now. But uh, for me, it, it expressed pretty well, come right up, came right out of these two verses. And as, what is, is it we're supposed to do as, as, as believers? We're supposed to follow God, imitate God. And we're supposed to love we should be the most loving people in the world. He, he loved us and offered himself. The great example of Christ, he says, is that he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So he builds on a couple things there. One is, is he, he loved us and he offered himself. The, the word uh, phosphora literally means he brings himself. He presents himself as a sacrifice for us, just as people in Hebrew worship would bring their sacrifices to the temple. He presents himself as a sacrifice for us. And then that we have this part of, where it talks about a pleasing aroma to God. And in uh, Leviticus uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3, it talks about what's called the sweet savor offerings. And it wasn't that the, these offerings smelled particularly good. It was because they were offerings that God very much wanted. It was a, an offering, uh, the burnt offering, the meal offering, and the peace offering. And these were offerings that the people would say that in the nostrils of God, the, the smell of that offering being made was a sweet thing to God, that people were offering that to him. Uh, we know the Bible says, greater loveth no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, but he laid down his life for his enemies, Romans 5. Our love for him is our response to his love for us. And he laid his life down as our great example, and we should follow him. We should love like he loved, even to the point of offering his life. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. That seems like a big jump, doesn't it? But he's trying to make sure they don't understand what it means to love one another, okay? 
you know, if you know, like some of the cults, even in America, like the children of God and a lot of those things started out, well, we're all just going to love each other. And they descended into all kinds of sexual immorality and all kinds of sexual problems because, you know, they think, well, we're just going to love each other. Well, what, what he's saying here is, you know, let's not do it like they did, because at the temple of Artemis, there were a, a thousand tents outside and there were women who would come there and you would make a contribution to the uh, goddess and you would celebrate fertility with these women. I'm sure there were men there as well, but you would celebrate, you know, fertility. And it sounded so much nicer to do it that way than call it just prostitution, but that's what it was. And he's coming up against the people who were so influenced and that their neighbors were doing this. The people they worked with were doing this. And, you know, to try to say, you're not like them. You don't live like them. They're, there is, as a follower of God in Christ, no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. And, uh, you know, the, the first idea there, the, the, here's a quote from, uh, I like C.S. Lewis, the monstrosity of sexual intercourse outside of marriage is that those who indulge in it are trying to isolate one kind of union, the physical, from all the other kinds of union which were intended to go along with it and make it the total union. Here's another quote from uh, a great Henry Bryant, a psychologist. Becoming involved sexually short circuits the judgment and one of the most important decisions of your life, whom you will marry, is made under pressure of disappointment, one-sided affection, or over-involvement. You know, th there's a lot of contemporary people who would warn you about what Paul is warning us about, about here, uh, which is the involvement in sexual immorality, which is having sex with somebody that uh, the only appropriate thing is within the bonds of married life together. Before marriage, that's inappropriate. Adultery is inappropriate. And then also he uses the word porneia, impurity, uh, sexual uncleanness. And then he also talks about greed um, and the importance that greed can become, again, a form of idolatry. Verse 4, obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Oh... Anybody else feel guilty? Any of you other guys feel guilty hearing that? Anybody ever tell a dirty joke? Anybody ever just, a foolish talk is an interesting phrase. It really means uh, people who kind of turn a phrase. Or it, the idea is that somebody who will argue anything with you. You know, you, you'll, you'll, you'll start saying, well, I really think that the Pacific Ocean is much better than the Atlantic. And they'll say, no, no, the Atlantic is much more significant than the Pacific. And then, you know, you say, okay, well, well, no, actually the Pacific is pretty, they'll, they'll turn it around any way they want to turn it around. Foolish talk. Don't talk like that. And then it says, uh, and, and just coarse jokes. Um, it's actually the only time that those three things are talked about in the whole Bible, by the way. But certainly I am indicted by that. I will confess it. When I was a young man uh, in college, my, my job in the summers was working on the Chicago Northwestern Railroad. And I learned uh, to say inappropriate words in English and Spanish, both. And, you know, it was, uh, I'm not proud of that now, but I'm telling you that, you know, guys, we've just got to be honest. Uh, and frankly, I've heard a few ladies who have quite a vocabulary, too. 
you know, that if there's something that we've done wrong, it's another place to just confess it and ask God's forgiveness and cleansing because as children of God, followers of Jesus Christ, we should look like the Father in heaven. And can you imagine God saying, hey, welcome to heaven. Hey, come on over here. Let me tell you a story. There's this traveling salesman, see? Can you picture God? I mean, you can't picture God acting that way, and you shouldn't act that way either. Your mother was right. You're better than them. You're different. And don't give in to that kind of obscenity. Matthew says, whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. So if your coarse language, inappropriate, foolish talk, all you're telling people is what you really are on the inside. Uh, and if you're not reflecting God, then you've got a problem. He says, I tell you this, you must give an account at, on judgment day for every idle word. If that doesn't scare you, uh, you're a saint. Uh, every idle word, never saying one word that you speak out of line. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. What will? Your vocabulary, your dialogue when you stand before God. I had a man in my first church, and he thought he was... Uh, just, he was, thought he was holier than everybody else. And he actually kept a chart. He was a supervisor at work at, at uh, a plant. And he kept a, a list of all the guys who worked with him. And every time they'd use a foul word, he would put a check mark by their name. And he kept it in his office for everyone to see. And, uh, and then, you know what happened over time? Guys would say, oh, hey, wait, uh, give me two more check marks, and you missed three of them with Jimmy. Put those down. It just became a big joke. You know, you, you don't have to be the judge of other people in the world. You just have to be the judge of your own heart and your own words and your own thoughts. Uh, Instead of that, it ends, let there be thankfulness to God. There's an alternative. Gratefulness, thanks to God, honoring God. I like what the words of Job 4 have been words that have helped me in my life. Your, it says, your words have supported those who are falling. One of the other versions, NIV says, your words have kept people on their feet. Your words have kept people on their feet. Your words have supported those who were falling. With thankfulness to God, you reflect the likeness of God, the love of God, the, the light of God. And here's a great prayer. I'd like you all to read it with me. Psalm 141. Let's read this together as a prayer. Ready? Here we go. Take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. One more time. Control of what Warren Wiersbe writes, he reminds his readers of what they were, once were. One word suffices by way of summary, darkness. Not only do they live in darkness, they were darkness. Now they not only live in the light, they are light. And this is possible only in union with Christ, who is the light. The phrase goes on here in scripture uh, at the end of that 
but now you have light from the Lord, so live as people of light. Live, live in the light. It was uh, William Barclay said, you must behave as those who are at home in the light. I like Beekner's words. If there is a terror about darkness because we cannot see, there is also a terror about light because we can see. There is a terror about light because much of what we see in the light about ourselves and our world, we would rather not see, would rather not have be seen. I don't know about you, but there are some days I just can't stand to watch the news. I just can't, you know, Bill Bright used to say, every Christian should say three times before you watch the evening news, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. But, uh, but I watch the, the horror of uh, almost daily shootings and killings and nations that can't get along and people that can't get along and problems in the country and the people we send to Washington can't get along and can't agree on anything. I, I just get so frustrated and angry with it all. It just almost tests my, my spirituality. Uh, and it, it says that as followers of Christ, we live in the light, and that reveals to us, John 8, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you don't have to walk in darkness. First John 1, if you're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If what John says is, if you are truly a Christian, there's three tests. And one of those tests is, are you living in the light? Is your life an open book? Somebody said to the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon in London, hey, I've, I've got some secrets about you, and if you don't give me a, you know, some money, I'm going to disclose them. And Spurgeon wrote him back and said, hey, write it on the clouds. I got nothing to hide. Got nothing to hide. Live in the light. Why? Because you are the light of the world. You are the followers of Jesus who's light, and that light ought to flow through you. And then it says, out of that we will have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Christ will cleanse us of our sin. I like what Wearsby wrote, every time I take a plane to a meeting, I must surrender myself and my luggage to a special inspection. I'm happy to do so because the inspection helps to detect bombs. I've never been afraid to walk through the detection tunnel because I have nothing to hide. I, I, uh, two weeks ago I was in Minnesota, last week I was in Arizona. Had to go through the TSA line a lot. And you know what, I'm, I'm not worried. You know, I, I thank them for what they're doing to keep me safe. and. I'm not worried to go through that because I don't have anything in my luggage that I don't want anybody to see. Living in the light is a constant indictment as a believer and a constant focus as a Christian that that is the goal. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. What are the three things? Good, right, true. Uh, let's take the word great and take the vowels out. What do we have? G-R-T. You want to be great, then be good, be right, and be true.
be good, be right, be true, because the light within you produces those three things. Good, right, true. Pastor Mark Thompson, Faribault, Minnesota, suffered a terrible knife attack from an assailant in his home. And in October 1988, one of the many consequences of his difficult recovery was being forced to miss watching his son Chris run in the state cross-country championship. Pastor Thompson commissioned his brother Merv to go in his stead. And according to the account in the St. Paul Pioneer Press and Dispatch, Mark told his brother, I can't be there to see Chris run. So I want you there at the beginning of the race. Holler a lot. <laughs> then at the end, I want you to really cheer loudly, and I want you to make your voice sound like mine. <laughs> and Merv heeded the advice, and Chris ran a strong race, finishing second in the state. Merv, also a pastor, discerned the theological truth in this story. That's what Jesus wants us to do, he said. Make your voice sound like mine. Make your life look like mine. Make your love flow like mine. And may your purity show the sincerity of your love for God. And all of God's people said, let's stand together. It's been great to be with you folks. I really love you. appreciate you. Uh, it's my last day with you today. And I will uh, dearly miss you and uh, thank God for our privilege of having this time together. Uh, next Sunday, I'll be watching my youngest granddaughter get baptized, which is a joy. And, uh, and then I go on from there to a week and a half in Estonia. And then I go into Albania for a week to be with all of our leaders, our missionary leaders uh, from Asia and um, from Europe and, and Mediterranean, Europe and Mediterranean leaders. And then the week after that, 102 missionaries all come together for the week in Albania. And I'll be with all of them um, to help lead that group. So would appreciate your prayers. Uh, I'm going to tell you something that people who know me well know. I hate to fly. I absolutely hate to fly. And I've told you I'm having trouble still with my left ear. This last flight I went on, I went to the ear doctor. He actually had to cut a hole in my eardrum just to let the pressure off so that I could fly. And uh, I just would really continue to ask for your prayers, okay? And now unto him who is able to accomplish more than all we could ask or imagine because his power is at work within us. To him be glory in the church before all ages, now and forevermore. And together his saints said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.